0: Last week we dove off into our Christmas series that I've entitled Unwrapping Christmas. And I know for a lot of you that seems like it's a little early, that we haven't even had Thanksgiving yet. Uh, but now next week you're not going to be able to say that anymore. So we're going to be able to push right on through into this. It was great uh, last week because if you, uh, if you live in the overall household, you just know that Christmas starts about October the 1st. Uh, my mother-in-law, I love her, but she, uh, this summer in July, bought my wife, Uh, the NSYNC Christmas album from 1998. And guess what's been playing at my house for the last six months on vinyl, right? And so all we hear at our house is, Merry Christmas and happy. And I'm just like, shoot me now, right? This has been going on since July. And so we finally uh, passed a certain point where she felt like she could put up our tree. We've got our tree up. We've got everything ready to go. But last week, what was so funny is that as we were leaving had people confessing to me like I was their Christmas priest. I'm a shaker too. I'm a bagger too. If you don't know what that means, then you need to you know, listen to last week's message. Uh, you can do that on the podcast or you can watch it online. But these people are continuing to, to admit to me like they're oh, I do this too. Yeah, I do this. And so I, I realized that I forgot a couple last week. Uh, I forgot the uh, the early risers. Right, y'all, remember, y'all know how this is when this comes to Christmas and unwrapping Christmas? you got to drag your kids out of bed at 7.15, 7.30. Get up because you got to go to school Christmas morning, 4.30 in the morning. They're wide awake. Let's open presents, right? And they're just all over the place. What about, what about the, uh, the, the secret present? Y'all remember those gift givers that are the secret? Like you open everything that, that you've got to ask, but there's that one thing. That you really wanted, but it wasn't part of your Christmas. And then dad, kinda, he kind of looks over and says, hey, hey, what's that over there? And you pull out a box and it's shaped just like a Red Ryder BB gun. And you're just really, really excited. Y'all know that? Listen, this happened to me. I was, I don't know how old I was, but I got the original, this is going to tell you how old I am. the original Nintendo. Okay. I remember as a kid, I wanted the original Nintendo. And so we opened all of our presents and I was like, okay, it was great. It was great Christmas. And they're like, Hey, there's another present over here. And it's this big, huge box. If You remember back then it came in a big box. And so I ripped it open and there's the picture of it. And I'm like, ah, this is an empty box. And my dad, says, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's over there, hooked up to the TV, underneath all those pillows." Me and your uncle Mike played Duck Hunt till two o'clock this morning. I was like, "Whoa!" You've already played with my present. He's like, "Yeah." And so I didn't care at that point. I ran over and Mario did the rest of the day, right? And so we do these kind of the secret present is my favorite, and then there's the oh thanks as you unwrap a present that you know you're going to return, right? Y'all have done that. You've opened the box. Maybe you've got a world's best dad tie. Maybe you've got some kind of like, I don't know, socks or just this present that you're like, you can't say, oh, I was 25 years old, 25 years old. And my mom bought me a coin counter. You know where I worked when I was 25 years old? A bank. I had a $17,000 coin counter at my office. She bought me a coin. I was like, hey, thanks. That's so cool. It was like transition year, right? No longer getting cool presents anymore. Now you get like socks and coin counters. That's That's your Christmas stuff. So we have all these kind of things that we do when we unwrap Christmas. And I think it's just kind of funny what I want us to do as we begin to kind of unwrap the thought of Christmas and and kind of understand what all that really does. Is I, I love the anticipation of it. I want us to build up the anticipation of Christmas and and really the prevailing thought of Christmas that I want us to think about is the wonder because that's what it is. Whenever we when we unwrap stuff that we don't know what it is or we don't understand where it's kind of you know, the angle that it's coming from, there's just this sense of wonder that comes along with Christmas, and so I. I A defined wonder for you by Webster's Dictionary on the screen. It says this, The astonishment at something awesomely mysterious or new to one's experience. Isn't that what Christmas really is? It's awesomely mysterious. And when we think about Christmas in the context of Christ coming to earth and how God made himself manifest presence here on earth in physical form, that is awesomely mysterious. And, and with the, the traditions and all the extra that come around Christmas, sometimes we need, we need something new to our experience, because we become so desensitized to the thought of Christmas, because it's so commercialized, and there's so much other stuff going on, and we've got family and we've got presents and we've got, you know meals and traditions and all the extra that comes with it. We need a new experience to Christmas. And so this week, uh, along with last week, we're going to talk about. The necessity for Christmas, and then uh, and then next week we'll we'll talk about uh, the person and the actual event of Christmas. We'll get into all that. But to do the necessity of Christmas, we have to go back. We have to go back 400 years before the first Christmas. We talked about this last week to the last prophetic voice in the Old Testament, and that is the prophet Malachi. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Malachi. He's the last book of our Old Testament, uh, and uh, interestingly, the, the the Hebrew Old Testament is not. Uh, is not organized the same way as our uh, Greek Old Testament is. And so in the Greek Old Testament, the last book is Malachi. In the Hebrew Old Testament, the last book is Chronicles, which is pretty interesting. Uh, and we don't have time to get into all that, but uh, that's just for your extra knowledge. That has nothing to do with my sermon this morning. So we're in Malachi chapter uh, One really kind of ends up, we we finished that whole thought of the oracle, right? We talked about the oracle of God, and this is really the burden that God's sharing with his people. This is kind of the things that he's feeling and all the experiences he's got. And uh, we finished up last week talking about how God spoke directly to the priests. And uh, we took that as to speaking directly to us because we are the priesthood of believers, right? And we applied all those kind of things to us. And then he, uh, at the end of our section last week, we didn't read this, but Malachi begins to address one specific area in which the Israelites broke faith with God. And this is Malachi now speaking because from the beginning of the book, it's been God. And Malachi just says, listen, let me give you guys an example. And he talks about how... uh, the Israelites were marrying foreign women and how that has been since the very beginning of the Old Testament, something that God spoke very negatively against and said, please do not do this. Uh, And that was not a racial thing. That's a, that's a, that's a spiritual thing because when the Israelites would marry these foreign women, it always seems to be women, right? And when they marry these foreign women, they bring in the gods that they worship. And he didn't want their hearts to be divided in whom to worship. And so God says, you're not supposed to be doing this. Well, Malachi's telling them, listen, you guys have been doing this for a long time. And this is one area that God says, I don't want you to do. And then God, he, he quotes God here saying his famous line, I hate divorce. Because what the Israelites were doing is they were, they were seeing all these new ladies. And they were like, well, you're prettier than my wife or you're different than my wife, or you're something new, and so I'll just divorce my Israelite wife, and I'll marry you now. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not how we're going to do this. And he even says how he, he hates that. Um, he said, I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as his garment. And that just really speaks to his heart in the issue. That's all at the end of, I believe, chapter uh, 1 and, and the beginning of parts of chapter 2. And it's this whole idea that Malachi's trying to say is like, listen, do you see the analogy here? This is not the only thing that you guys have done that has broken faith with God. This is just one thing, but it it points to a bigger picture. This is how you've treated God. God, who is your first love, who is the person who you committed to from the very beginning, you've now begun to turn your back on him and love another, quote-unquote, little g, God. And so Malachi's trying to draw some hard lines, of parallel for them to go, oh man, this is what's going on really in our world. And then chapter 2, verse 17 starts this new section. And I know it's not new section within the the chapter verse logos of our our Bible, but it's this new thought in this whole oracle of God. And it says this, this is really great. Chapter 2, verse 17. This is Malachi still speaking. He says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask, by saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and his, he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? Now this is interesting because Malachi's telling the Israelites, like, you've, you've made God tired. You've wearied the Lord. Basically what he's trying to say here is, God's kind of tired of dealing with you all. He's just tired of messing with you guys. And they're going, well, why? Why would he be tired of us? And he says, Because you've you've upset him because you're saying, All who are evil do who, who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And where where is this God of justice? Basically, we've not gotten what we wanted, but it looks like everybody else got what they want. Where is the God of justice? The Israelites are kind of, they're just crossing their arms and they're acting like children. They're just kind of puffing up and kind of getting all sour in their face. And, and so they're saying, you know, I, you know what? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to offer this poor sacrifice, which is what we talked about last week. I'm going to marry whoever I want. I'm going to divorce whoever I want. I'm going to do all the, whatever I want to do because all the bad people are prospering. And all of us who are trying to do good aren't getting what we want. And isn't that exactly what we do? When we see things and we see people who, who are not, quote-unquote, good people, but they seem to get all the stuff that we, who are, quote-unquote, in our own world, good. And, and they're getting the, the extra and we're struggling and they're having all the fun and we're the one drudging through life and we sit back and we cross our arms and we go, God, why do they get everything they want and I don't get what I want? And so I have just very simply on the screen... Stop acting like children. Stop thinking about God in this way because there are some, I believe there are some realities that we need to uh, remember. And I've got these listed out for us. So if you're taking notes, it's real easy. Number one reality number one is this we are not meant to understand everything. Uh, I even put out beside mine in my my notes says that we literally cannot understand. Everything, right? We know Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 says this. For my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. That's my favorite verse out of the Bible. I have, I have memorized that from since I was probably 15, 16 years old because it gives me a great sense of deep breath that I don't have to understand everything, that I don't have to have everything figured out. That when life seems to be throwing curveballs to me and throwing straight balls to everybody else, I don't have to understand that, and because God doesn't work in ways that I have to understand, I I literally cannot understand how He does what He does. And then there's this idea that's it's Isaiah chapter forty, but it's quoted over in uh, Romans chapter eleven. I think I've got that one on the screen. Romans eleven says this: "Oh, how deep." Uh, the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, how unfathomable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Who can understand God? We're not meant to. And so when life seems out of balance and when life seems, quote-unquote, unfair, or when it seems like those who are doing evil are prospering, we don't have to understand the why. We don't have to understand the whys of our life. Whenever we're, When we're struggling through things, it seems like things that have happened over and over and over again, it seems like it's just piling on in our life. We don't have to understand. We have a God that, that understands things that we cannot the second thing I want us to remember, reality I want us to remember, is that perception and reality are two different things, right? Perceptions and realities are two. Our purpose and our perception, things seem to be better for other people than maybe they do for us. Malachi says it like this, All who do evil in the eyes are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. And isn't that the perception that we carry? Oh, God must really be blessing them, but he's not blessing me. Job says it like this, that God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Basically saying we don't get to pick and choose who God blesses or how he blesses people. We just, we just enjoy the blessings that he gives to us. I think this speaks implicitly to our, our obsession with social media. So, can I just can I just take a pause and talk about that for just a second? Because we see people on Facebook or Instagram or, or or whatever it is that you are signed up on, because most everybody is, and and we see them post things about best vacation ever, or look what I just bought, or look what I just uh, was able to afford, or look at this is the prettiest picture of me out of the fifty four pictures that I took that day, and I'm going to post that one. And we're we're perceiving something that may not necessarily be reality. Somebody said this, I can't remember who it is, said that we're comparing uh, our worst day to somebody else's best day, right? Because we don't post our worst day on social media. We don't do that. We post our best day. We post all these different things that, that make us look the best that we can look. But sometimes, church, reality and perception are two very different things. What you perceive as blessing could be insecurity, What you perceive as blessing could be financial instability. What you perceive as blessing could be a cry for attention. Could be. Because perception and reality are two very different things. The third thing I've got down here is uh, some realities we need to remember is everyone has issues, right? Can we all just agree to say that out loud? Can, let's just do that as a congregation. Can we all say, I have issues. One, two, three. I have issues. Isn't that feel, doesn't that feel good? You can look at the person next to you and go, you, you sure do, right? Because that's what we all feel like. Nobody else has issues. I've got issues. That I don't, I, if I come forward and pray at the end, then people are going to think i got issues. Guess what? We all got issues, Nobody in here has the perfect marriage. Nobody in here has the perfect children. Nobody in here has the perfect job. Nobody in here does or says or acts or behaves exactly right all the time. We all have issues. Listen, you may come home from work and kick the dog. Been there, done that, right? This week kick the dog this week just because, listen, we are not perfect individuals. Don't kick your kids. But sometimes you got kids that you just want to go, what's wrong with you? I raised you better than that, right? And then when you start saying things that your dad said about you, mm, now you know you really got issues because you know your dad had issues, right? And so we all have issues. And, and when we begin to see perceptions and we think about some well, God's blessing these people. Well, those people got issues too. Well, it seems to be piling onto my life. Well, guess what? Your life is not an island. You're, you're not going... Listen, this may change some of you. The things that you guys are going through right now, you're not the first person to have to do that. And it feels like sometimes that you're the only one dealing with These emotions are these reactions. Are you the only one that has ever had to do it this specific way? That's the enemy telling you that. You're different. You're, You're isolated. Nobody knows. Nobody can relate to you. Everybody has walked this road. And we have people in our life that we can lean on for that. Everyone has issues. Some of us have walked through that and come out a little better than others. But we all have issues. So because of all this stuff and because of the issues that we have, that's what makes chapter 3 so incredible, okay? And so when Malachi comes in, or God comes in and says, you know, you're, you're talking about all this stuff and... Malachi's given examples of divorce and, and how we how we interact with our spouses and 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 if we go back even into chapter one about how we offer these lame and, and horrible uh, sacrifices and with all these misconceptions chapter three come in and God's speaking again and He says chapter three verse one see with with all your misconceptions with all your perceptions that are incorrect with all your I'm going to live life on my own term with my own wants attitude see. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Remember last week, what they were most upset about is the Messiah they have been waiting for still hadn't come yet. And, and so they set up, God set up his whole argument to come to this point in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, see, with all your issues with all the stuff that you guys are doing, I'm going to send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Now this is great because if you don't know Hebrew, which most of us don't and I don't really, but the word messenger here is incredible because the word messenger here is Malach. okay, And that is the word that we get the word Malachi from. And so if we were going to read this With a very anglicized, very awful translation of it. It would say, see, I will send my Malachi who will prepare the way before me. But what's great about this is that there's this play on words. Because Malachi knows that God's not talking about him. He knows he's not talking about, he's not the one, he's not the messenger who's going to prepare the way before God. Malachi is even in that same sentence playing off of Isaiah and what Isaiah says in chapter 40 verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. So who is this messenger? We know him as John the Baptist. 400 years after Malachi writes this down. What did John the Baptist do? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going Old Testament, New Testament this morning, right? Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And here's Mark quoting Isaiah. The same passage I just read. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And look at this. So, John came, baptized in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The messenger, Mark sets it up. There's this messenger that Isaiah talked about, the one calling in the desert, and so, John came. This is the messenger. Look at verse 7. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose angels I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Hello. This is an Old Testament foreshadowing of a New Testament event. This is God telling us that John... Was gonna come before Jesus and prepare his way. This is incredible, right? This people say Old Testament, and New Testament are not interrelated. This is this is one of a thousand different ways we could relate them this morning. Not only did God orchestrate Jesus' coming, but he orchestrated his announcer as well. Like his hype man came before him, John, came out and said, You gotta get ready because Jesus is coming, and God orchestrated that as well. Malachi is saying, my messenger will prepare the way, and then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. Now, this is incredible, because what happened after Jesus was born? On the eighth day, they circumcised Jesus, which is part of Jewish law, and then after the time of purification is over, that's for Mary, they take Jesus where? To the temple, because they and part of, part of Jewish uh, law is that they, they dedicate every firstborn male to God. And you do that in the temple. And so in, in Luke chapter 2 tells us this whole story about when Jesus was circumcised. And then, on, then after that, they take him to the temple. And Malachi saying 400 years pre- previous, the Lord that you are seeking will come to his temple. Which is incredible. This is just, again, one on top of them. The Lord they were seeking came to them. This is Christmas this, this God came to earth in the, in, the, in the event of Christmas to fulfill what was promised through multiple prophets of the Old Testament. And especially Malachi right here in chapter 3. God came to them. And what happens in Malachi chapter 3 is awesome because God tells them their Christmas and then he unwraps it for them. He's like, this is is me unwrapping Christmas early because I'm going to tell you, listen, even though you may feel far from God, you're not. God is not far from you. Even though you may feel like God is a thousand miles away, God is not. I'm promising you the thing that you're waiting for is going to come. He told them their gift and he let them know how he's going to do it. The messenger of the covenant, who you desire, will come. He is coming. God's reassuring them that he's not forgotten about them. He's reassuring them that he's not far away, just like he reassured us. Listen, you ever feel like that you're kind of in this isolated, issue-filled island of your own? you got to remember that God sent Jesus so that you don't have to feel like you're alone. You don't have to feel like God's a thousand miles away. You don't have to feel like You're so disconnected from him because he sent him to us. Then he asks this really kind of incredible question in chapter 3, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he'll be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will set as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites, which is the priests, and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in the former years. Who can endure When he comes, who can stand when he appears? Who of you among you complainers and you doubters and you self-centered hypocrites, you people who are saying, I'm going to do life, whoever I want to, because God doesn't care and he's blessing the people who don't care about him. So I'm just going to live like I don't care about him either. Who of you can handle his coming? It's a hypothetical question because we all know the answer. None of us. No one can stand on our own. No one is worthy to stand before him. No one has anything to offer him of any value, but he will purify us. He is like the refiner's fire or the purifier's. What happens with that when they refine gold and they refine silver? You know what happens? They throw all that in, it gets really hot, and all the impurities come to the top, and they skim all that off. And What's left is pure gold. What's left is pure gold silver. They get all the impurities off the top of it. And he's saying, well, he's going to do that to us because we are not good. We're full of all that junk. We're full of all that impurity. And he's going to be the one that makes us right. It is only him who makes us worthy. Church, if you get nothing from today, get this, and I think I've got it on the screen. Unwrapping Christmas is about receiving a gift that we did not deserve. We cannot stand when he comes. We cannot handle his appearing. He is the only one that makes that able to be done for us. He gave himself for us, which is a gift that we did not deserve. And if we ever, for just one second, begin to try to make that gift about us, more about us than it is about him, then we've missed the whole point of Christmas to begin with. Keep reading. Look what God does. He offers a return, like a way back. And we don't have this. This is Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. He says, return to me and I will return to you. This is always, if you read through some of the prophetic messages of the Old Testament, there's always this chance for, uh, for the faithful remnant to continue to have good blessing in God's sight. And there's always a chance for those who have strayed away to come back. Uh, I'm going to say that 99% of all of the prophets that spoke harsh messages to Israel or to the Israelites always gave them an opportunity to come back to uh, a right relationship to God. And chapter 3 verse 7, he says that, return to me and I'll return to you. And the people ask, how can we return, right? How can we do this? And this is how God, this is when God issues his famous, will you rob God? statement in Malachi. And this is the one that we all know from the prophet of Malachi, where he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And I will not, will I not uh, give you so much blessing that you will not be able to handle it. Right. And we speak this and we teach this because it's truth that, that our tithe, that what God has given us, we are to give back to him. And we talk about it in financial aspects because that's uh, obviously great, um, uh, analogy of what that talks about, but it's also talking about how we are to give ourselves back to him. That we're bringing every, God's given everything that we need to us and we are supposed to give all of that right back to him. The Bible talks about the tithe being 10% and that's why we give an offering in church because it's mandated, it's required, it's not optional. It's what God says, listen, you bring your tithe to the storehouse because this is an acceptable sacrifice. Remember we talked about in chapter one, they were given these lame and blind and diseased sacrifices. And now God's saying, listen, you bring the whole thing to the storehouse. You bring the whole tithe. You bring it like you're supposed to and see that I will not bless you so much that you won't have room for it. And then God in verse 13 reminds them one more time of their position versus his position. Look, at this is great. Chapter 3, verse 13. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. And you ask, what have we said against you? You said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed and certainly the evildoers prosper. And even those who challenge God escape. Listen, God knows our hearts and he views them as harsh. That word harsh means bold, firm, severe, grievous. you said some really hard things. And so the Israelites confronted with that reality. It's not even just what they said to God in the moment and bringing in poor sacrifice. He knew their hearts. He knew how they felt. They did what we need to do. Verse 16. Then... Those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Listen, the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in His presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored His name. Now, this is kind of weird, but let's just let me un- unpack this for you. This is something they learned from uh, none other than the Persians. Okay, so when they were in exile, when the Israelites were in exile, they they this this practice of writing a scroll of remembrance came from the Persians, and so they brought that back with them as an act of kind of a contrition to to God, they wrote a scroll of remembrance, which essentially is them repenting. They repented before God. said so the ones who feared God got together and they talked and God heard and he listened. And they wrote this scroll, basically an apology letter to God. How dare we treat you this way? How dare we bring poor sacrifice? How dare we not bring our whole tithe? How dare our hearts be so divided against you who loves us so much. And so they wrote this scroll of remembrance. It's essentially this book, this letter, and then they would write their names on it. They would sign it as a declaration of dependence on him. In church, I believe that's exactly what we're supposed to do. I believe that when we get to a point And we realize that our hearts are so twisted toward God, and God calls us on that. And He says, I know your heart. I know what you've said. I know how you've treated me. Our response is repentance. And just to just to acknowledge and to sign our name to it, to say, yeah, I'm 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 pledging to not have that attitude. Any more? When they do that, God has an incredible response, and we're uh, we're rolling through because I'm almost out of time. Verse 17, God says, "They will be mine," says the Lord Almighty, "In the day when I make up my treasured possession." There's that word again. We talked about last week. I will spare them. Just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him, and you again will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. When I take up my treasured possession, remember that's the Hebrew word segulah. We talked about that last week. One of the most beautiful words in all Scripture. It's found in in Moses from all the way back in Exodus uh, when God was talking to Moses and saying that you will be my treasured possession. And this is God at the very end this is 1,000 years after Moses. This is God at the very end of the Old Testament saying, You are still my treasured possession, and I will come, and I will take you up. I will make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them. What is that? That is salvation. When I take up my treasured possession and I spare them, when I save them... Because salvation is granted to those who repent, right? We have the, we have the Israelites who, who love God, repent, and then God says, I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them. And that's the whole point. That salvation is granted to those who repent. And then he says at the very end of this, You will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not, in the day when I take up my segulah. You will see the distinction. Listen, in that day, there are two categories. Whenever, whenever Jesus has come, and, and we know this now, has, he has come and he died and gave options for us to have a right relationship with God. And then when, he, when that other day comes, when he comes back, then he will take up his treasured possession. And in that day, you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, right? Those who serve God and those who do not. Listen, and, and this is really the whole point of this morning, and I'm going to be done. When that day comes, there are going to be two eternal realities. Heaven, which everybody loves to talk about heaven, right? We, everybody loves to believe in heaven. Because that's the place that Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that, when I, so that where I go, you may go also, right? We know that. And Jesus is saying, "Like saying, there, there is a destination, eternal destination for those who trust in me, and that is heaven. But let me tell you something. You cannot have heaven if you don't have hell. Because there is one or the other option when it's all said and done. And nobody wants to talk about hell. Nobody wants to talk about how that's a, that's a reality that, that is the, should scare us to death. When we, when we begin to understand that on that day, the righteous and the wicked, there will be a distinction. Those who serve and those who do not, there will be a distinction. It all hooks on one thing. One thing determines the distinction between heaven and hell. Righteous, wicked, wicked those who serve and those who do not. And it's what did you do with the gift of Christmas? What did you do with Jesus? Because listen, we can, we can name off all the sins that we commit. Because those of us who are saved still have sins that we commit. There's one thing that determines your destination. Did you put your hope and faith and trust in Jesus? Did you repent eternally and believe? The Bible says those who call on the name of Jesus will be saved, right? It's with your mouth that you confess, that you repent, that your hearts you believe that God raised him from the dead. This this is the only thing that matters. This is the only point of Christmas. When we begin to unwrap this, listen, in the Israelites with Malachi, they had 400 years waiting for that Messiah to come. We know He came. We know that He died. And we know that He did all that for us. And we celebrate Christmas because of what He did for us. He came, He was promised, and God delivered. And it's what we do with that gift, what we did do with his coming, that makes the distinction that God speaks so heavily about in Malachi. Next week, we're going to look at John the Baptist. We're going to look about the the process leading up to the fact that he came. But we cannot miss God's prophetic word this morning saying it all hinges on this. On that day, when I take up my segulah, so my question this morning as we end is, are you a part of that treasured possession? If you're not, listen, that's real easy. It's real easy. We make it real complicated. It's the idea of surrender. It's surrendering your wants and your desires and saying, God, I, I accept and I believe and I come underneath your leadership. It's understanding what Jesus did and how he died on the cross for our sin. How he is the only way we have right relationship with God. That when, when the gift of Christmas came, we now have the option of being right with God. Even in all of our wrongness, we have the option of being right because of who Jesus is. So church, I know we don't, we don't do a hard evangelistic invitation but that's what today is. If you don't know, if you don't know, listen, John wrote, we write these things so that you can know. If you don't know if it's a hope to or I think so, then then we need to get this straight today. We need to we need to lock this in today because on that day there'll be a distinction. You'll know. If you have questions about who Jesus is and how salvation really impacts your life and how that really changes everything, I'd love to talk to you. Dustin would love to talk to you. I'd be willing to bet somebody on your row would love to talk to you about that. For those of you who know and you say, yes, I'm saved, but I've been living like those people, crossing my arms, asking where's the God of justice? Why do I not get what I want? Maybe it's time for you to write your own scroll of remembrance today. Maybe it's time for you to write your name on the apology letter, on the repentance letter to God. Maybe it's time for you to get things back in line and to begin to really live for Him. I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your head. I'm going to pray for us. TJ's going to come and sing. Dustin and I will be forward. If you need to talk to somebody about what it means to be a member of this church, what it means to be uh, a part of God's treasured possession, then we would love to that. If you just need to take a second and, and admit to God that you've got some issues, because we all did that publicly. If you just need to admit to God, listen, God, i got some issues and I need your help with that. Listen, we would love to pray with you. We don't have to know your issues, but I'd love to pray with you. This is your opportunity to respond to God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for this gift of Christmas. For what you have given us that is beyond our expectation and beyond what we deserve, Father, we, we just want to surrender right now. If there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know who Jesus is and doesn't, can't confidently say that they are saved, Father, today I pray that they make that commitment, they step out, that they are bold enough to make an eternal decision. It's the most important thing. Father, for the majority of us, it's probably just time that we repent. It's probably time that we stopped acting like children and stopped crossing our arms in defiance towards you, but started to really live and serve you. Father, this is your chance to to really speak into our hearts, and God, we're asking you to do that, and Father. We want to be responsive to that. Help us not miss the next few minutes. These are the most important. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need to hey, this is Matt I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.